Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Brian Gongle, and this is The Brian Gongle Show on News Radio 1040 WHO. Remember, you can always email me anytime you like, brian at whoradio.com. You can also follow me online on Facebook and Twitter. Look for the username Brian Gongle, B-R-I-A-N-G-O-N-G-O-L. And I'll be happy to uh, share with you what I can there throughout the week. And remember, while we are going to be away for quite a bit during football season, since football games will take priority over this show, we will still have plenty of opportunities for you to listen over at iHeart radio use the iHeartRadio app download it to your phone make sure you're following over at whoradio.com as well we'll have periodic podcasts posted there probably trying to do something a couple of times a week as well so that uh, we can stay in contact with you throughout the rest of the uh, fall season and again uh, we'll, we'll be here for a couple of shows here but for the most part a lot of football taking our place that's just fine i am happy to make way for the hawkeyes now before we get back to our conversation here with arthur riser of the r street institute about predictive policing i, I want to make a point and i did not do thorough justice to his biography going into this conversation. But Arthur's experience includes having been a visiting professor of law. He's been a trial attorney with the Justice Department, primarily as a federal prosecutor. He was a patrol officer with a police department for three years. And this guy was an armor officer in the U.S. Army. This is not some neophyte, lefty, hippie freak when he's talking about the way that we should approach policing. This is somebody who has some very deep-seated and well-built beliefs about what we're supposed to be doing with our communities and the enforcement of the law. So I just want you to bear that in mind as we go into this final conversation here, our final segment of our conversation. This is really deep-seated stuff, and we don't want to be... uh, we don't want to blow things off here. We don't want to. We don't want to get into a mindset that neglects to look at the bigger issues behind how we keep our communities safe. And I think that's what this is all about. Well, I guess, and what I hear you saying, and based on, um, on what you've written recently, I mean, I, you had a recent uh, op-ed that uh, noted that uh, the referring specifically to black motorists in Missouri that they were stopped at rates that were seventy-five percent higher than than white drivers. Well, if I, I guess what what I hear you saying, and what I can certainly understand is. It's like the old saw that if a police officer follows you for 500 miles, you're going to get pulled over. You know, if you, it, it might be for some trouble, but you, if a police officer follows you for five minutes, I can find a way to pull you over. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the, just the point is that eventually we're all going to do something that technically is an infraction of the law. So if you are getting more attention, then you are more likely to get the not just the attention, but then to get an infraction. And so. What, what I hear you saying is that if we're going to employ predictive policing, if we're going to use algorithms and, and data to do these things, we need to make sure that the data itself doesn't contaminate the process. Exactly. This is, this is you know, a, a PhD writing one-on-one. You, you can't have your data predict your results. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't say that right. You can't, you can't feed data into your, uh, your, your, your methodology in order to come up with the hypothesis that you came up with in the first place. That's, that, that is a contaminated, uh, research and it's not worth anything. 
And just to be clear, so people that your listeners understand, what doesn't happen is you do not have algorithms that say black people commit more crime, so pull over more black people. That never happens. Um, and if it has happened, it is a, a, a racist on its face. Um, and it would be shut down by every major police organization in the world. Nobody would accept that. But what the algorithm will do is say, okay, these areas have more uh, uh, pops on guns um, in cars. Okay, so it will send police officers to those areas. But if black people are pulled over at a 75% higher rate, then you're going to send your – the algorithm will very slowly – not through uh, – it's not racist in intent. It's racist in application. will send people to areas that have more black people. And so the system, again, will feed itself. Um, and when you have a system that feeds itself, it, 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 you, you end up with not good policing. You end up with a system that predicts its own existence, and it feeds its own existence. And that is the problem. Garbage in, garbage out. You got to make sure that the and I have I think predictive policing has a place in America and I think it could be great policing and it can make us safer. But we have to ensure that we don't have these problems. And how do we do that? Well, one of the biggest things we have to do is transparency. We have to have transparencies in the algorithms, and and this is where you know a libertarian like myself really uh, it hits. I hit a wall, uh, and where a lot of libertarians will hit a wall because the, the market's supposed to be you know the, the you know the king. Well, if you if you if you have a a system that you need to have transparency, you need to release the algorithm. You need to let a civil society see the algorithm. Well, that's proprietary information, so that's a problem. Um, and I think it's, you know, my, my, my ultimate conclusion that I've come to is, well, that's a, um, that's worth it. I think that, you know, defense attorneys and uh, civil society groups need to understand what the algorithms are, what the data is that goes into it. And I think they need to be open source or at least there needs to be some type of discoverable way to understand how the algorithm works. So transparency is key to me. I think the other thing is we need to have a, a stop gaps and we need to have breakpoints um, where you have humans looking at what's happening uh, and to ensure that, you know, not only to make it better because, you know, a computer can't have the type of cop gut um, that I'm telling you right now exists and I'm telling you it's real and it works. That, that feeling you get as a cop that something doesn't smell right, something's wrong. You need to have that built into the system too. And I think the third, um, you know, way that we can ensure that we, uh, you know, have a, a predictive policing that's fair is we, 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 we consciously understand that some of this data is, it, it can be contaminated. And because it can be contaminated, we actively take steps in order to prevent it. And that's, I guess that's what I'm hearing you say overall, more or less, is that we've got some strategies available to us, but we have to make sure that as we're putting them into place, that it isn't just on autopilot that we think that the technology is going to save us or that we think that just because there is, you know, may potentially be a good answer here or something that, as you say, is just maybe a even a more sophisticated version of what policing has been doing for ages, really, we need to make sure that everybody's involved in the process in 
a transparent way so that you have not only the, the police, but also have the, the civilian oversight and just have the, like you say, the civil society groups, the people who are there to make sure we don't have overstepping going on. Everybody's got to have a, a part to play in this. Otherwise, it's going to delegitimize the very efforts that should be helping to make policing even more effective. That's exactly what I wanted to say. You just said it better than me. <laughs> I get a lot of practice. I talk a lot. <laughs> so I guess my what my maybe my my final kind of question for you here is uh, based on your your research that that you you're doing obviously on behalf of a PhD and based certainly off of I'm I'm quite sure you're still uh, at least in contact with several of your old colleagues out there and still have some you know some sympathies for all your friends working these sorts of things. What's the best thing that you think? we could be doing as as voters and as just attentive citizens to help get us to a place where there isn't an inherent expectation of, of tension that instead that this is uh, good for everybody that, that we're doing things that are good not only for the communities but also for the people who are doing the policing which is a tough job it's a demanding job it's a risky job and it's one that you know has to come with a certain element of, of public respect and, and acknowledgement what, what do you think we can do to make sure that everybody's sort of pulling in the same direction here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a, this is a hard question. I, I, I have two answers for you. I think that there's a generational issue um, here. I think that we need to, um, as a uh, as a country, um, the way that we hire, train, and recruit police officers has has to change across the board. And this applies to particular policing and and everything. We need to hire sophisticated um, individuals, pay them competitive salaries, because it is a very demanding job. That's a generational issue. That's an expensive um, um, uh, result. But on, on the short term, I think that we need to be uh, have open, public, and notorious conversations about this. And I know that this is always, you know, the cheap answer, but I really believe when it comes to this, the, transparency is really the key. Because it is so, first of all, it's so easy for um, individuals, we'll say this on the left, for lack of better terms, to scream boogeyman when they don't know what's going into uh, the algorithms or where they don't know how these decisions are being made about, you know, cops on spots, what spots are being picked to put cops on. So transparency is key. And I think that police need to understand um, that it is not an in-some game. It is not us versus them. Um, and I, I, I really feel like a lot of police in, in America, you know, felt that, um, for right or for wrong. But, you know, we, we, you know, we have the, the, the Ferguson effect is a kind of an, a, a term thrown out there now where cops are policing differently because of fear. Well, it's not us versus them. And they have to understand that the public wants police and we need police. Um, and they're not the enemy. There are, they need to they need to be officer friendly. They're not our bosses either. They're public servants, and I think that is those two things coming together is where, in the short term, where we can have real results and have you know more uh, tranquility in the police um, and public field. I mean, there is a trust gap between police right now, and I think it's a gap that is fillable, and it's a gap that has to be filled in order to have civil society uh, move forward. 
I certainly hope that that's, uh, that is something that we can acknowledge and talk about honestly and and make sure we can overcome that because, like you say, it's good for everybody involved. I mean, it's that's for the good of the communities. It's good for the it's for the good of the officers themselves. And I think and this is just sort of my personal side, my one of my biggest concerns that I have right now is that if if we allow ourselves to think that, as the president has suggested that, you know, the, the policing is just a matter of beating up suspects, that that actually is a disrespect to the profession itself. And that that actually hurts the progress, the enormous progress that's been made in professionalizing the whole effort. And the, 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 you know, the whole. What they absolutely right. I just wrote an op-ed with that, with actually in the title in the, in the, it was this is a disrespect. What the president said was a disrespect to the profession of policing because cops don't. There are bad cops. Um, absolutely bad cops, but the vast majority of police officers uh, are, are people who are doing a hard job for, for really pittance uh, compared to the stress that they're under and the stress that their family goes under. And it suggests that they are um, criminals, and they should be criminals um, is, is disgusting. And it's a disrespect to the profession, and it's a disrespect for every single uh, man and woman who gave their life, and, you know, for the blue. And I, I really um, condemn that type of, uh, of rhetoric, and I really you know, applaud the, the vast majority of police organizations that came out and said, no, Mr. President, um, this is not okay, and this is not who we're about, and this is not something to jeer uh, and, and cheer about. And I and I certainly I, I am with you 100 percent on that. I appreciate the fact that so many of them did come out and say, no, that's that's not what we're about. That hasn't been our way for a long time. And that's not the direction we're headed in we're, this is we've gotten we're we're so much more than that. We're so much smarter and so much, uh, you know, just so much better than that. And I, I'm glad that they set up for themselves as a profession because I, I applaud that thoroughly. Well, it was uh, it's it's. A hard needle to move, but I, I, I'm, I'm confident that um, it's moving. Very good. Well, Arthur Reiser with the R Street Institute, uh, people want to uh, kind of follow up. Obviously, you're doing a lot of writing these days and a lot of uh, uh, speaking on these topics. Where can people go to follow up on, on what you're talking about and what's on, on your mind these days? Yeah, if you just go to rstreet.org, um, you have – I've written in the last couple of weeks, I've written four articles about policing – in the United States, um, I have a book coming out um, about the, the the policing mentality based on my research I did for my PhD at Oxford, um, the PhD that I'm working on at Oxford, and I, I Oxford.org has the vast majority of my work on uh, policing issues. That's certainly obviously you've got uh, you're combining a great level of academic experience as well as the front line experience. So I think that's uh, that's going to make that whatever you have to say on this subject uh, extra valuable. So I certainly appreciate that. Yeah, hoorah. <laughs> well, very good. Arthur Reiser again with the R Street Institute. Thank you so much for uh, joining us here on WA2 Radio. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Well, once again, my sincere thanks to Arthur Reiser of the R Street Institute for this conversation about predictive policing. And I think this is a major issue, uh, especially as we see the development of technology going faster and faster, uh, a theme you should be pretty familiar with if you're a regular listener to The Brian Ongle Show. Uh, I think, oh, I hope 
certainly, that, that we now appreciate that we need to make sure that we are keeping track along with the new technologies. Uh, let's make sure that we're applying our ju- judgment and good sense to making sure that the framework of the law is in place to handle this as well so that we're serving everybody and serving everybody equally with equal justice under the law. We'll be back in just a moment. I'm Brian Gongle on News Radio 1040 WHO. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.